Hi, and thanks for tuning in to My Adventures at Home Brewing. I'm Dan Matthews, and come along with me as we talk about things for new home brewers, from gadgets to how we got started to, I don't know, all the mistakes we make along the way. So come along for the ride and have a beer or two along the way. Hey everybody, it's that time once more to go around the sudden one more time and have a beer or two along the way. It's Dan and um, this week we actually have a really cool guest. It's someone who um, I've read some of some of the stuff he's put out there. Um, he's actually helped out uh, in editing a book I just got uh, over the holidays. Uh, I call it the Beer Bible. It was uh, initially done by Garrett Oliver, but this gentleman uh, has a wealth of knowledge on one of my favorite beers, which is oat beer and this gentleman is horse dornbush horse is uh basically a beer guru god the, the end all be all on the subject of alt beer for what i've seen and what i've heard um and i'm we're very fortunate to have him on the show today Horst, thank you very much for doing this today oh it's my pleasure but you must be sure that with your praise you don't make me speechless because then we could not have an interview well, you know, it's you, <laughs> I, I, I got to tell the truth. I mean, it's pretty awesome stuff that you've done. I mean, you're a pretty accomplished guy. Um, well, what have I done? I was born in Dusseldorf after World War II. I guess Dusseldorf is the home of the Alpier, as we all know. So yep. when I grew up, that was my default beer. When I went to a pub and said, I'm beer bitter, that's what I got. And it took me until my teens before I realized that there were other beer styles than alt beer in the world. Well, you know, there are other styles of beer out there, but what I've found right now, um, cause you and I had that, had a nice little talk over the weekend mm -hmm. and we both agreed that we both like well-balanced beers. And I right. find that alt beer is one of those beers that I find which are extremely well balanced and not too hop not too malty uh and they're just all around as as was like i say with my friends it's crushable it is a beer that's easy to drink and enjoy more than just one and that makes a lot of sense to me um especially in uh, during the last two decades what i would say um the north american craft brew movement has pushed its experimentation sort of towards limits, which is a very natural thing to do. Humans like to explore as far as it will take them. We don't like limits. However, if you're talking about balance, it's very difficult to explore limits without losing your balance. Um, we have uh, extreme beers now in terms of all the characteristics which we use to describe beer. There are extremely sour beers, extremely funky beers, extremely hop bitter beers, extremely alcoholic beers, and beers made with freaky ingredients. You know, we call them yes. beers, and you could you can put in um, potatoes, you can put in um, um, caraway and uh, um, <laughs> um, 
there's a wide gamut of, of things that Coco people are playing with. Coco, anything, okay? Yeah. So you got it, you move. But once you do that, you're moving in one of the directions of the flavor composition of beer and you're losing that balance, which is not bad in and of itself, but I think it takes away from beer as a quaffing drink and as a sort of social lubricant of getting together. In other words, you can't, if you go to a beer garden in Munich on a nice Sunday afternoon and you wanna sit there for a couple of hours, you can order several liters of beer in succession but I would dare you to have several liters of, let's say, a 65 IBU uh, uh, fruity, juicy New England IPA in a row. I do not think any frame, any human frame will be able to take that with impunity. So balance that's, is lost. However, that's just, a, I, that's just abuse on your liver. <laughs> So Altbier is indeed one of the most balanced beers. And what I would argue, but that is, of course, just, uh, let's say, considered a literary metaphor rather than a literal description. But Altbier is, in my, uh, you can argue, it's one of the most, the, one of the oldest beer styles in the world. And it had about at least 2,000 years, if not more, to evolve and develop. Um, why do I say that? It's because when, the, when Caesar's Roman legions crossed the Alps and went all the way north into the Rhineland where Dusseldorf is located, um, they already encountered tribes that were making beer, obviously local beer with local ingredients. And we know that because the Roman historian Tacitus wrote a book in the second half of the first century AD, which he entitled De Origine et Situ Germanorum, about the origins and the locations of the Germans. And in it, he said, the Germans like to make a lot of beer and they always get drunk. And if we want to, we can conquer them more easily with their vice of drunkenness than with our swords. So we know that they have been brewing beer even during the first century of our current epoch. And if we assume that the people who lived in the neighborhood where I was born over the next 20 centuries or 21 centuries, if we assume that they never stopped brewing, we can say that the Altbier, which is the local beer today, the indigenous beer of Dusseldorf, has actually evolved gradually as brewing ingredients and brewing processes became perfected. They have evolved that beer style uh, longer than any other beer style in the world. <laughs> well, okay. So <laughs> it, if it's been around that long, uh, uh, I can, I can honestly say this here in North America is not very well known. I mean, if I was in Europe and down through Germany, I'm pretty sure I'd find it not a problem. But why ha why are there certain styles of beer, especially like alt beer, uh, that aren't really trending that well here in North America? That's a question I have been pondering for quite a while. As you know, um, 
I started my own small brewing company in the early 1990s and ran it for almost 10 years. Um, <clears throat> and I specialized on German style beers only. And I think I was either too early or too late to really make it big. Um, I shut down uh, after about 10 years during the contraction of the industry shortly after the turn of the millennium. And I became a consultant instead. And it has served me very well, quite frankly. Um, but it's very hard to understand what drives um, fads, what drives trends. It's very hard to understand. For instance, it's next to impossible for me to understand why the New England IPA has become so popular when for centuries brewers have tried to make uh, non-cloudy beer. Now mm. brewers are trying to create foam, uh, sorry, uh, uh, turbidity stability rather than the elimination of turbidity in finished beer. So um, it's hard to say, perhaps when you're making an alt beer and just like is the case with a Hellas, if you make a brewing mistake, you can taste it. So it takes a lot more brewing sophistication to make a balanced, delicate alt beer than it does to make an aggressively hopped uh, Imperial IPA. Yeah, I mean, I know when we were talking on the weekend, we were talking about uh, Imperial IPAs and this and that. And I can be, I'll, I'll be honest, I mean, an IPA is nice, but it's not necessarily something that I normally tend to gravitate to. I prefer something where you actually can taste the, like basically the malt, the barley that get, goes into it. Because there is such uh, complexity, I find, to alt beer that our normal IPA to me, and it's just not, I'm going to have, I'm going to have listeners are going to probably throw shade at me for saying this, but an IPA, it's all it is, is blasting your senses with hops. You really don't taste the malt. You don't taste the characteristics of possibility, what they bring forward. But with the alt beers or some of the German lagers that I find, you get that complexity. You get the taste, what, what people intended the beer to be like. And am I wrong in saying that or? I think you perhaps are on the way to explaining why alt beer has not caught on as quickly as other beer styles. And that is consider where we're coming from. The, the craft brew movement started in the late 1970s and early 1980s. At that time, the raw materials available to us were not what they are today. You, if you want to have a very malty beer, remember the North American malts that were available in the, in the 80s and 1990s were actually the ones that farmers and maltsters, maltsters developed for light American lagers. And okay. those those are the beers that don't have a lot of maltiness. There is very little hop in it, so the malt should not overpower the little bit of hops. Plus, they were brewed with adjuncts. Um, so you didn't really want the rich maltiness uh, that a nicely malted barley 
uh, is capable of providing. So maybe that's the reason why a beer like Altbier, which is delicate and malty, was not catching on in the early days of the craft brew movement. And maybe it will start to slowly catch on in the future as brewers and also their raw materials have become more, much more sophisticated. That's a possible explanation. Okay. Now, you mentioned something before about a quaffing beer. What do you necessarily mean by that? Well, you know, um, to make it, to give you a very simple analogy, when you sit down for an evening of having a good time with a bunch of friends, you're not going to reach for three bottles of cognac. Mm -hmm. You sit down and have a beer because you can drink um, steadily without getting drunk because if you drink slowly enough, you can met metabolize the alcohol as you go along. You try and do that with cognac. You drink cognac for three hours, you'll be hammered. You won't be able to stand up. So, <laughs> um, so beer, in terms of, if you wish, its social function, as I always say, it's a lubricant, lubricant of conviviality. It, it, it brings us together. It makes us happy. It loosens the tongue just enough so that we can have a happy conversation. Whereas if you had the same amount of cognac in your glass and uh, drank it and quaffed it, you can't quaff cognac. Um, right. That's why it's an aperitif or a digestive served in a little snifter. It's a sipping beverage. Um, whereas beer is probably, and wine is not a quaffing drink either because it tends to have a little bit too much alcohol. So I think beer is the ideal balance between sort of a relaxing drink with complex flavor, but you can sit down and enjoy it in a session. That's why we also call them session beers. And to me, that's a quaffing beer rather than a sipping beer. Okay. So it's a beer that's basically you're able to sit back and take your time and enjoy and not just down it or have to force yourself to take it slow because it's high alcohol. Correct. And also a beer goes with a lot of food, sometimes even better than a wine. Imagine, for instance, a curry chicken, a, a, a sort of a Jaipur curry chicken with the cold sort of uh, slightly acidic, sour acidic yogurt and some rice on a plate. Mm -hmm. With that, would you want to have a white wine? it wouldn't even stand up to it. And it would sort of overemphasize the acidity. But imagine the slight malty sweetness paired with some sour uh, sort of uh, yogurt style uh, uh, concoction and a nice curry chicken and the neutral flavor of the rice as the basis on which all the other complex flavors can ride and float into your uh, um, your sensory system, your organoleptic system. And it's just, it appeals to all the senses. Plus it provides that liquid that makes the swallowing relatively easy. And you get complex aromas of bitterness, sweetness, sourness, and everything else and saltiness throughout your entire palate. 
it just enriches and enhances the complexity of your experience. Now you said chicken curry. Now that's all I'm craving right now. This is awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> beer goes better. Sometimes beer goes better with food than wine. Oh, I totally agree. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of um, uh, international foods I find uh, beer goes so much better with. I mean, obviously, if I'm home and I'm in my backyard, I'm using uh, my barbecue because I got to do propane or charcoal or use the offset smoker. Uh, those things that come off of that, that's easy. That's a nice, a nice other clean, crisp pale ale or a nice, like dark multi uh, uh, porter or like something Absolutely. like a new or a bass or something like that, or even a really nice dark German lager or something like that goes perfect with barbecue, I find. Um, but um, I know I heard you. <laughs> I'm going to plug these guys again. Uh, I heard you on the homebrew happy hour and you had mentioned um, something about a little bit about the history of the alt beer and how it got its name. Absolutely. We can talk about that. Now, as I mentioned, the alt beer is perhaps uh, in terms of evolution probably has one of the longest histories of any beer style in the world because it has already been documented as a, a, um, a, a local brew um, in Roman times. Um, but uh, in the Middle Ages, that beer evolved into what's called a coiter beer. That is um, an ale that was brewed in, the, in what is today, the Netherlands, Belgium, Northern France, the Rhineland and Westphalia in Germany. So it's the flatland towards the North Sea, um, now occupied by several bits of several countries. It was, um, it evolved in the 13th century as a brew made from a mixture of uh, barley and wheat malt, and it was flavored in those days with herbs, with Groot. It was a Groot beer, a Groot ale. Um, by the 13th, 14th, 15th century, gradually that became a hopped beer. So by, by that time, the Koite beer was a hopped ale from the lowlands of Northwestern Europe. That beer eventually evolved as the amount of wheat gradually declined and as the malting technology uh, became better in terms of um, the kilning process. Initially, of course, all malts were flow malted and then they were kilned in open fired, direct fired kilns, which made the malt slightly roasty, slightly smoky and definitely slightly dark. Um, as the Brits, the Brits were the ones who invented pneumatic malting in the uh, first half of the 19th century. Pneumatic malting means instead of drying malt or malted grain, green malt in a kiln using direct fire, they heat up clean air, take a steam engine and blow that clean hot air through the malt and dry it that way. This way the malt loses its color, mm -hmm. its smokiness, and its roastiness. 
and all of a sudden you can get slightly paler mold, something like the modern Vienna mold or okay. Munich mold, which actually was invented or released for the first time in 1841, believe it or not. This really? is Munich mold and Vienna mold were introduced and they are amber molds. They are um, coppery colored molds and not roasty, smoky, darkish molds. All of a sudden, brewers had the ability to change the beer styles that they were making. You take a coiter beer with just a touch of wheat malt. You have nice hops in there. And all of a sudden, instead of having smoky malt, you're taking a Munich style malt. This changes the complexity of the beer. Now, and it exact, that's exactly what happened in Dusseldorf in the 1830s and 1840s. I have a glass in front of me, which unfortunately you cannot say, and it's a Schumacher Alt glass. And Schumacher says it started brewing in 1838. And Schumacher is one of the four foundation brew pubs that created the Alt beer style that we know today. The others are some Füchschen, Uriel, and some Schlüssel. Those are the four brew pubs that created Alt beer in the first half of the 19th century, in large part based on, of course, the traditional beers that go back to the Romans, and in large part based on the new malts that were available. Now, That's at, pretty the, cool. at the same time, of course, Europe was being conquered by lago making, by the new bottom fermenting yeasts, the only holdouts of the old and in German, alt, alt means old in German, mm -hmm. the old fermentation method of top fermenting, the holdouts at that time were parts of Belgium, parts of Northern France, like the Bière des Gardes, um, parts of Great Britain, of course, the British Isles, all the British ales and the Irish ales, the Irish stout and all of that, as well as the lowlands of the Rhineland and Westphalia. Those were the ale-making holdouts in Europe, whereas all the rest of the world became basically a lager beer culture. So the alt beer, the old style of brewing, the old beer method was preserved in Dusseldorf roughly at the same time when these guys decided they're not gonna become lager makers and they were using the new sort of copper colored, um, deep auburn, dark auburn and deep amber malts that had become available because of the change in the kilning techniques. And this is the genesis, the origin of to the modern alt beer. And that has not changed except that nowadays, most alt beers are brewed without any wheat malt and brewers also use some uh, uh, Caramunic, Munich caramel malts. They, they use melanoidin malts to enhance the depthness, depth of the flavor. And we use, of course, all the noble hop varieties available because we want to emphasize not harsh hop bitterness, but delicate hop bitterness. And we want to emphasize a lot of hop aroma. So this is the way the Alpi evolved. And because of the climate, in the Rhineland, which is never very cold and never very hot, 
the the ale yeast adapted to that climate and it works at lower temperatures than British ale yeast and it even works at lower temperatures in Dusseldorf than it, it does in the Kolsch uh, uh, vessels. Um, okay. So you have a cool fermenting yeast which the Dusseldorf guys then decide, decided to age in cooling, uh, in cold vats, in conditioning vats, basically a, an alt beer is a, an ale made at a lower, uh, fermented at a lower than ale temperature and then lagered almost like a regular lager in the cool cellar for four to eight weeks. So it's a You won't like the way I make mine then. <laughs> um, I do have a few comments about- uh, I knew that was coming. <laughs> um, but I would tell you only <clears throat> my, let's say recommendations. There is no room for dogmatism here, but I would tell you my recommendations only if you asked me to. Because so I'm polite. <laughs> well, well. Oh, chances are I may have already now sent you my trouble. recipe. Now I'm in trouble. No, no, I'm you're in... not. You're never in trouble. But uh, I know you said uh, just there it takes about four weeks, whatever else, inside of uh, your vessel and light. I actually turned my mine around, believe it or not, within about seven days because I do what? mine under. Yeah, I do mine under pressure, so I use pressure fermentation. So basically, uh, I have everything that's on my fermenting vessel. I put a spunding valve on it and I let the pressure okay. build up to about 12 PSI, which okay. that's fermenting, good. At, fermenting at a warmer temperature allows things to move around a little bit more. But with mm -hmm. the buildup of CO2 within the vessel, it'll suppress any off flavors or bad esters that the yeast could possibly put out while it's under stress and it suppresses that and it allows the beer to get turned around at a faster pace. I have done this with loggers and things like that. And honestly, I've had people say, this is like amazing. How did, uh, how long did this take? And I say, well, about a week. And they're like, you're, you're full of shit. Excuse my language. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> So Maybe yeah, I was so, in Montreal for ten years. <laughs> I'm up to your tricks too. <laughs> so that's uh, that's how I was able to. I'm able to turn around some beers when I'm in a bind. I'm able to actually turn them around pretty quick because I do them under pressure. I think you should get yourself another uh, an additional fermenter and then give the uh, pour the uh, I call it the um, <clears throat> the James Bondies because it's the 1007, uh, which is, by the way, in my view, a great yeast for Alpia making. But you should give those poor yeasties a little bit more time. Be, oh, be nice to the yeasties, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you want a beer fast, I mean, come on. <laughs> so, um, 
but I am planning on upgrading my my system because uh, when you saw me on the weekend, I was out in the outside brewing away. Um, but I am in the process of possibly getting a new stainless steel fermenter because I use um, I don't know if you've ever heard of them. They're called Firmzillas. They're by a company called Kegland. They're a plastic fermenter that you can actually put under pressure, mm-hmm. and it holds about seven gallons. And they're to be honest, they're they're fantastic. They're easy to use. They're easy to clean, but uh, I want to be have something that's a little bit more robust, so I'm looking at getting a uh, a Spike Flex Plus where I can actually put pressure on it and use it as a unit tank. So, we'll see. Well, you also I know where you live, so in the winter you will oh. be able to uh, really take advantage of uh, your lovely climate for aging for lagering your alt beer. Oh, I, that's one of the that's one of the plans. That's one of the plans, but um. Going back, uh, I know we had talked uh, on the weekend about uh, uh, the similarities between Alt and Kolsch. I don't know if you may want to touch on that a little bit. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I, I talked about the lengthy evolution of Alt beer from Roman times. Now, we don't have to go back to that, but think of Munich. The, um, the Munich Dunkel became the standard beer of Bavaria in the 19th century. And it became less roasty after kilning techniques improved and it became a nice malty beer, dark in color, which is difficult to do because sometimes you wanna get your color out of roast, but in a Dunkel and also in an Alpe, you don't want any roastiness. So, the requirements of color and flavor are contradictory. You want the color, but not the roastiness, which means you get it out of Munich malls and Kara Munich malls, okay? So here we are. We gradually then lightened the color of the beer to Märzen and Oktoberfest, and also the Alt beer, which is lighter than a Dunkel. A Dunkel starts roughly at 15 SRM color. That's sort of what most people agree on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is no rigid border because, but you know, it's in that neighborhood. Now, if you lighten the Altbier a little bit more and more, just as the Munich guys lightened the Dunkel and they basically replaced the dark, the, um, the amber Munich malt with Pils malt, which is sort of a very pale malt, of course, you get into the Munich Hellas. And I think it is simply, I think it's okay, both historically and chronologically, but also brutechnically to say, essentially, just as the Munich Hellas is the, the pale or light colored outgrowth of the Munich dark, uh, the Munich Dunkel Lager, the Kölsch is the outgrowth of the um, copper colored uh, rainish um, ale. So you lighten that. And incidentally, the first bottle to carry the Kölsch label, uh, the Kölsch name on the label. Do you know when that was released? No, to be honest, I really don't. It was released in 1918. Okay. Before nineteen eighteen, the local beer in Kölsch was called Wies, W 
I-E-S-S. And it was a pale ale with a lot of wheat as part of the mash. That sounds really familiar for some reason. Okay. And so that had, so as the Dusseldorf guys went for the Alt beer, the Kolsch guys went for the Wies, Wies beer. Okay. And by the way, you know, there is another Alt beer variant in Münster in Westphalia, which is an Alt beer that has up to 40% wheat in the mash. So you can see how all of these beers, they evolved from the medieval Koite beer which was a beer based on a mixed mash of barley malt and wheat malt. So you can see how they have a common ancestor. Yeah. And out of that thing arose the Wies, the Münster Altbier, and the Düsseldorf Altbier. And the, the, the wheat was reduced differently in different locations, but they all have a common ale heritage. And then in the 19th century, as I said, they all took advantage of improvements in kilning techniques, which produced more or different malt varieties, as well as um, the availability of hops through the new railroad system and all of that. Um, so you could start playing around with that. And, um, <clears throat> and as I said, the yeasts, which are yeast is as an organism, mutates easily and it's very adaptable. So uh, the different locales evolved different sort of uh, 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 terroir yeast strains, just as many breweries still today have their house yeast strain, which is slightly different from any other yeast strain because it has adapted to its extremely specific neighborhood conditions actually. So that's how that uh, is is connected the culture. Okay. Okay. This is a little bit of a maybe a random question. Um, when uh, when I was in my younger days, gray hair <laughs> and everything else now, um, <laughs> um, I was fortunate enough to go th through a good part of Europe with my father and my older brother. And one of the places we actually got to go into was Germany. And I went through Munich, Berlin. Uh, Frankfurt, and we also made our way up into Heidelberg. And in mm -hmm. Heidelberg, I, I saw in one, I think it was inside the, the castle that's there, um, mm -hmm. they had this huge, huge, huge cask in the basement where they were pouring beer out of it. Mm -hmm. Is that is that normal? Or is that in, in a lot of like, is that a traditional thing in, the, in a lot of places? Well, let's put it this way. Um, I talked about the sort of common ancestry of beers in the lowlands, including in Belgium. And in Belgium and France, these giant casks made of wood, right? Yep. Um, they are called, in Flemish, they're called Föder. In French, they're called Foudre. Those are the giant beer vats in which they aged beer before stainless steel or um, fiberglass line, cement buckets or whatever became common. So this is the very traditional way of aging beer. It okay. also allowed you to refill these on the lees and you propagated or you didn't have to pitch yeast because 
you still had yeast, live yeast, non-autolyzed yeast left in your giant cask. So that's actually traditional. Oh, well, these wow. things are hard nowadays with modern hygiene concepts, of course. These things are next to impossible to clean in, by modern standards, right? Right. Um, and they're also difficult to move and all of that. But you would actually then draw from those giant lagering tanks, those wooden lagering tanks, you would draw the beer by gravity underground in the beer cellars, um, in the lager cellars, into smaller casks. And <clears throat> they would then be loaded on drays drawn by a team of maybe six to eight draft horses. And, and what they did was the, the, the beer cellars or the lager cellars, they had two ramps, ramps, one on either end. And you would open the hatches, the horses and the, 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 the dray moves into the cellar. They load the dray with beer barrels. Then they open the other hatch and those big, heavy, strong horses pull the dray out of the cellar up onto the street and deliver it to the different pubs. That was the tradition. That's pretty impressive. That is very impressive. You can't do that in permafrost in Canada. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> like, yeah, no, you'd need a jackhammer to get through the permafrost here. I'm, 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 you know, as it is, je me souviens, monsieur. Je me souviens, monsieur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, re I remember growing up in the Maritimes and uh, some days after big snowstorms looking outside and my dad going, there's the shovel, go dig. And I'm like, mm -hmm. dig what? I can't see the ground because <laughs> yeah. we would have six foot snow drifts. Okay, so the other very, if you want to, we can talk briefly about hops and sure. maybe a variation on, an Altbier, on the Altbier theme. Um, <clears throat> hops is actually very simple. Um, you can use all the all the German land races. They are traditional, as well as Saats and the <clears throat> Alsatian Strüsselspalt. They are all kind of related, except for Hallertauer Mittelfrü. All the other noble hops, Saats, Strüsselspalt, uh, Spalter, Hersbrucker, um, and Tettnanger, they're all genetically related, but Mittelfrü is different. But all the noble hops have one thing in common. They're, the ratio between alpha and beta acids is roughly one to one. In other words, the same amount of either. Whereas in most hops, alpha acids are much more prominent than beta acids. Also, in terms of, in, in terms of the oil content in noble hops, there is proportionally more uh, Caryophyllin and farnesine, as well as lina or oil, in as a fraction of the etheric oil, the aroma oil content. And these compounds that I just mentioned, caryophyllin, farnesine, and linalool, are considered the classic hoppiness aromas, just as we associate um, um, acetaldehyde with green apple flavors or isoamyl acetate with banana flavors. We associate these three compounds with typical hoppiness. Um, oxalic acid, we associate with rhubarb flavor. So you can see how certain chemical compounds um, are, are, we associate with certain uh, 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 botanicals, 
Okay, so um, noble hops therefore have more of the hoppiness compounds and they have more beta, they have almost the same amount of beta and alpha acids, which means their acidity or their bitterness is less accurate. Um, and, and so that is the way you want to use hops in Altbier. And you use these hops for bittering at the beginning of the boil. And maybe you add a little bit for aroma at shutdown or in the whirlpool. Not yeah, that's exactly how I do it. You don't want to overdo it. And um, here is a small suggestion in your, um, in your recipe. You are going for 48 IBUs. Mm -hmm. Usually I would stop at 37. Okay. That is much more common. Um, your original gravity is uh, 1.064. I think that's a bit high. I would go for maybe 1.55 or something like that. Okay. Um, calculate it. You have your an alcohol content of six, almost 6.3%. Yeah. I would not go above 5% for a classic alt beer. So if you go for that target, you might want to recalculate all the other specifications. Um, <clears throat> the SRM, you're using the Moray formula, which everybody is using. I'm right now writing an article for Braubelt uh, International about that very subject compared mm -hmm. to measurements with a photo, uh, spectrophotometer, the Moray formula, when you calculate it, produces half again as much darkness as is measured by the uh, labor in a laboratory by a spectrophotometer. In other words, the Moray formula is really not accurate and it gets, gets less accurate if you go past six or seven SRM. So I think your, the, your real beer color may be close to nine or 10 SRM, okay? Uh, okay. Sorry, but I just thought I'd mention these things to you because- No, that's, that's fine. That's I, what I, I play with. That's the, that's the only way people learn is if people tell them where they can improve and or what they think, or I mean, personally, I, I, only way I found about alt beer was uh, uh, one by accident, two uh, because I know Steve Beauchene out at uh, Bo's All Natural, and I've tried their alt beer, which is really great. Um, and there's aren't there aren't a whole lot of options out where I am to to buy this uh, style of beer. Uh, I've I've looked, and uh, the, our lo our local uh, liquor board does not seem to have a wide variety of this style which in my opinion is a, such a bad idea but that's me um mm -hmm. when looking at uh th things like hops and things like that i mean hollertal middle fruit is what i use uh, i know some yeah i think it's i think it's the the right amount of uh kind of that earthy herb herbaceous and bitterness mm -hmm. that that you would need in that style of beer i do know some people use magnum uh they have used you uh, could you could but yeah but you you're better off with the the hollow middle fruit yeah um, mine 
The traditional one, by the way, is Spalt. Spalt, okay. Spalter or Spalter Select. Okay. Or the very modern descendant of Spalt, which is called Diamant. It was released after the 2019 harvest, which has a little bit more alpha acid than Spalt. So you get less of a true cone uh, for the same bitterness value. Uh, and that is uh, a variety that was bred to be more resistant in the face of climate change. Um, and it has all the flavor and aroma characteristics of Spalt. It's a little bit bitterer, which is good actually, because Spalt is very low in bitterness in alpha acids. Um, and I would actually go for that one throughout. Uh, that is seems to be the more traditional variety that has been used in, in, in Dusseldorf. Okay. So it, I know you, I, I'm like, I was, <laughs> I was a little nervous sending you my recipe out for my oat beer okay. because, because I was like, ah, he's going to look at it and go like crazy Canadian. He's trying to get people ripped right off the get go. Um, so in looking at that recipe, was there, is there anything in there other than, um, say maybe the color or maybe even the uh, the alcohol content that should be changed? Did you think yes, the green bill? There's is one the... thing you want to change. All and right, that's it. That, and don't be offended, quite the opposite. The two row pale, um, you are introducing basically a malt that is really intended for British ales. Okay. Um, what is really missing here is something that harkens back to the tradition as the Altbier evolved. It is the Munich malts, or maybe even the Vienna malts. You have the Cara Munich, which is good. You have the Cara Pils for mouthfeel, that's good. I would reduce the Carafa Special Type 3 um, to one half of that, a little bit less, maybe one ounce rather than two ounces. Um, and I'm glad you're using the Dihas Carafa because it gives you the color without the phenolics. That's a good thing. Um, for, the, um, for the two row, I would replace it with Munich malt. And it's okay. the, there is a, you can get Munich malts, depending on the company where you get it from, can be between six SRM and 20 SRM, uh, a Lavibond, I'm sorry, six Lavibond and 20 Lavibond. To me, a 20 level bond malt is not a Munich malt. Munich malts ought to be between six and 10 degrees Lavi bond. Um, get the Weiermann Munich malt. And if you want to be really authentic, now here's a little trick, consider. In the 19th century, all malt was floor malted. Okay. How about changing the Pilsner malt, replacing it with Bohemian floor malted Pilsner. That huh. will give you a very, it's an under-modified malt, I understand that. It will give you a very, very interesting, rich, earthy flavor component, which harkens back to a tradition. So if you mix a Bohemian floor malted Pilsner malt, uh, the lightest of the Munich malts, and even look, or mix it Munich and Vienna malt, um, then you have your Cara Munich malt about 10%, the, the Cara Munich 3. That's great for color. You have the Cara Pils, 
6%, you can even raise it to 10% for the mouthfeel. Um, because if you're using Munich malt or Vienna malt instead of the pale two row, you're getting more color. So you can re reduce the Carafa Special type three to about one ounce. That is my recommendation based essentially on looking at the tradition that has produced that style. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I'm absolutely. Sure, I'm sure your beer tastes great. I'm sure it's wonderful and, and it depends and it's, it's fine. No, no, this is not, I have seen recipes that really ought not to be called alt beer. Yours is an alt beer. One of the reasons, if I may, why I think it ought to be called an alt beer is because there are variations on the theme. There is the alt beer that might have 5% alcohol by volume, but oh. just as there is <clears throat> in Bavaria, a Bock beer and a doc, Bock, double Bock beer compared to the Märzen or Oktoberfest, there is a, a Sticke or double Sticke compared to the Alt beer in Düsseldorf. There are two beer styles that are basically the Düsseldorf Alt beer equivalent of a Bock beer and a double Bock beer, and they're called Sticke and double Sticke. These are stark beers, strong beers. They're milled essentially like an alt beer, only you bump up the grain bill to get more alcohol, make, get a heavier beer. And, and uh, that I think what you have made is closer to a sticker alt than a regular alt because okay. of the high alcohol content. So you're having all the alt beer components in the flavor but there are some aspects of it that, that lend it more to a strong beer. A strong beer in Germany tends to start at six and a half percent thereabouts. Uh, and you know, a really strong beer, like a double something rather, can go up as high as 11%. And then if you wanna freeze, freeze it, if you wanna freeze distill it, at, which you can do in Canada, by putting your- Just putting it outside right now. Little bucket <laughs> under the- under the snow mount that you create when you shovel your driveway, and then you drain it off the crystals uh, in, in March before everything melts. Um, you know, that's like an ice box. You could do that if you want to play oh. around with uh, given where you are. Uh, take advantage of your free refrigeration outside. I use it for cold crashing on a regular basis, so. <laughs> there you go, see? So, so that is sort of, these are some <clears throat> of the tips I have. Um, and uh, other than that, you are the, the, the volume, 2.65 volume, that's fine. Everything is fine. Um, you know, it's, as I said, it's, it, it, I'm sure it tastes like an alt beer, but the, the one thing that stuck out like a sore thumb to me was the pale two-row malt. That, that just... You can use Munich, Vienna, um, okay. and, uh, or a Bohemian floor malted, a Kara Bohemian, anything but the two row. That that just um, I will change. I will change that out for like a Munich malt, and then we'll go please, from there. So that, the, don't be offended. Oh, I'm not offended at all. This is it's going to help me make a better beer and hopefully kick some people's butts in some uh, homebrew competitions, which is going to be great. <laughs> 
it's it's all about the bling when it comes to competitions. <laughs> a lot of this is absolutely correct. Like you know, you use the germ, the right ye, uh, the yeast. Mm -hmm. By the way, the why um, yeast ten oh seven is actually yep. the earlier yeast. They picked oh. it up. From they got permission to use it from Uria. Okay. And, sh and should Cremor Springs Brewing Company ever make their Altbier again? Um, I took their brewers to Schlüssel and they learned yes. how to make brew Altbier from the Schlüssel brew pub in the, in the old town of Dusseldorf. And in fact, I wrote the contract for the licensing in both languages for them, which mm -hmm. they signed on the spot and they got a container of Schlüssel original Altbier yeast, which they kind of snuck into Canada on the return and propagated in their brewery. So if you get the Cremor Altbier, it ought to be very similar to the authentic Schlüssel Altbier that you can drink in Düsseldorf. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, I'm going to have to try and find it. Well, I've been watching the Cremor Springs website, and I've... They've got like I think they've got a Bach beer right now out right now, and I've been looking for their alt beer, and it comes up on Google. But when it is, so go to our site, go to their site, and it's not there. So I'm not sure what's going on. Right, you but it on the internet, it once exists. It did exist once. I was there when we tapped the first Creamer Springs alt beer in a in a keg. <laughs> well, that's awesome. I mean, I. Uh, I know you mentioned that you uh, helped uh, Bozol Natural get theirs off the ground. And I'll, I'll say that that was what got me hooked. Was oh, that no, no, I didn't help them get it off the ground. They read my book and then I did, ah. a, I did a podcast with them because they approached me. Um, but ah. I know that uh, they got a few ideas. And uh, I think they started out in Van Peak Hill. Is that correct? They're still there. They're still there. Okay. Yep. They are Canada's largest independent brewer right now. Is that so? Yep. In Bank League Hill of all places. In the middle of freaking nowhere. <laughs> I know. Um, I used to have horses when I lived in Montreal. And mm -hmm. uh, at one point I had three horses. And I there was a young foal that my mayor had produced. And I sold him to a young kid in Van Creek Hill in the mid 1970s. Oh my goodness. So I'm familiar with Van Cleek Hill and Point Fortune and all that. Vigo yeah. and the whole stretch there from Montreal to Ottawa, which I have driven many, many times, even in oh, the yeah. winter at one oh. o'clock in the morning when nobody was on the road and the snow drifts were horrendous. <laughs> oh yeah. I, re I remember when I was still serving uh, one year, uh, because we were up in northern Ontario, up in uh, an area called Petawawa, where the Canadian Forces base is. And to go from Petawawa to where my wife's from in the eastern townships of Quebec, in a little town called Sutton, it was five hours. And the one year we went... Uh, oh, in the eastern townships of Quebec? Yep. The right. <laughs> we drove. We drove through snow so bad that our car was like basically acting like a sled and sliding across the top yes, and sir. i couldn't and i couldn't see one foot in front of the nose of the car yet yes, we were still we were still going to the go see your folks for the holidays <laughs> and you were hoping that you would come out of it and there would be some traction oh yeah i just 
just like, all right, you're going in second gear and you're staying there. That's it. We're going to go slow. It's going to take forever. It took us like, oh, I think it took us almost like seven hours to, sure. to get to her to get to her parents' place that year. That was, it was nuts. I think we've hit our time, Horst. Thank you so much for doing this. It is greatly appreciated. It was my pleasure. I hope I both entertained and enlightened uh, your audience at least a little bit. Well, I had a good time. I don't care about them right now. I had a great time. It's all good. <laughs> I'm lying, folks. I'm lying. I'm, I'm very concerned about what you think. Uh, I'm only joking around. You know me. I'm a bit of a goof. But um, this has been like awesome. This is I, I put you up there right now with Stan Horobinus because I had Stan on the show in the early beginnings of the podcast to talk hops. <laughs> I, I you. Uh, there you got you both you guys are awesome full of knowledge and i put you in my my beer rock star uh book because to be oh, able wow. to have someone like you on the show is it's phenomenal and it is greatly appreciated and i know that i've told you this on the when we talked on the weekend that i have i've had um listeners go on my facebook page and say that you're a badass in beer and i have to agree <laughs> oh boy <laughs> So thank you very much for doing this. And hopefully we can have you on the show on another time and maybe talk, talk Martzen or maybe even a hell about Hellas beer. I would be game, sir. Uh, contact me when, if, and when you wish. I most certainly will. And hopefully when this all calms down and you're able to come back up this way, please take me up on my offer to take you on Ottawa to all the places that I know and get you spoiled rotten on some beer. And I'll take you down to the only, well, there's actually two now. We actually have two uh, German brewers here in the nation's capital. One out uh, maybe about a half an hour from where I live. And the other one's about 45 minutes in a little town called Carlton Place. And it's called Braumeister. And it's actually a phenomenal. The brewer actually went to Germany to learn how to make proper German beer. Okay, then I will take you up on it if I can bring my wife with me. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, she has been bugging me <clears throat> that we should go back to Ottawa again and spend some day, a few days there. And then what we would do from there is drive to uh, Malbay and stay at the uh, Manoir Richelieu uh, and then drive home. So that is a, a trip that we had actually planned for last year, um, but for very obvious reasons, it didn't happen. COVID sucks. It does. That's all, that's all I gotta say, COVID sucks. Yes, sir. <laughs> Folks, we've been very, very fortunate to have Horst Dornbush on the show today. Horst, again, thank you very much for doing this. And hopefully we can get, to get together sooner or later and have a beer or two. Uh, and uh, I, can't, I can't say it enough. Thank you very much, sir. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Cool. So, well, well, folks, thanks for coming along for the ride for the beer or two along the way, and we'll see you on the other side. Hey, everyone. So I'd like to say thank you to Horst for being on the show this week. Truly a uh, beer community rock star in my opinion <laughs> if i do say so myself so yeah if you get a chance go check him out at uh, horsedornbush.com which is one of his uh, websites and also cerveziamedia.com uh, he is 
honestly one of the coolest people I've ever had the privilege to talk to. So again, horse, thanks a lot. And I look forward to having you back on the show. And guys, thanks again for tuning in and a beer or two along the way and once more around the sun. And I'll see you on the other side.